From hrgrapevine.com, it's the HR Grapevine Podcast. Hi there, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the pod. Thank you for joining me. And this past Monday on October 10th, it was World Mental Health Day. Now, if you've listened to the HR Grapevine podcast before, you may know that I am an advocate for mental health and I'm quite open about my own mental health journey. So in light of World Mental Health Day, I want to pick that topic back up, but I want to talk about mental health when it comes to the workplace and what employers and HR teams can do to support their employees. So to do that, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Simon Blake, OBE. Simon is the CEO at Mental Health First Aid England, or MHFA for short. They are a wonderful social enterprise that offers guidance and training to support mental health in the workplace and beyond. So Simon is the perfect person to talk to me about mental health within work. So Simon and I are going to unpack some tips on how HR teams and business leaders can help their staff switch off from social media and the news cycle, how employers can support their teams during this great exhaustion that I think we're all feeling. And then we're going to touch on how important it is for managerial training when it comes to well-being and mental health and really the best way to go about starting it up. So Simon and I talked a lot about a lot of things, so I want to get right into it. I hope you enjoyed this insightful chat with Simon Blake, CEO at MHFA England. Thanks very much for having me on, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm the chief executive of a social enterprise called Mental Health First Aid England. Uh, Mental Health First Aid England is a training organisation and we uh, deliver mental health awareness, knowledge, skills, mental health first aid training, primarily into workplaces, recognising that as adults we spend a huge amount of our time in work and work can either be joyful and help us and support our mental health or it can at times also be problematic and difficult and impact negatively on our mental health. So um, our mission specifically is to train one in 10 of the adult population so we can challenge the culture, change the culture, which means that some people, most people can find it difficult at times to talk about their mental health. And we've got to change that because it's now more important than ever. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's kind of the point of this podcast is making kind of lessening that stigma um, around mental health and being comfortable and talking about it. So I'm super grateful that you're here. I'm very vocal about mental health. Uh, I've been going through a mental health journey in the last two years. The anxiety took over, right? And feelings of self-worth and self-doubt really crept up. And it really hit ahead for me within the pandemic. So it's been about two and a half-ish years now. I feel, um, you know, it's it's a daily struggle. It's, it's, it's a daily battle. But I feel like I'm equipped enough now to know about when these panic attacks are coming. How can I sort of head it off? And how can I manage my anxiety? Um, so that's my story around mental health. I, I, I would love to know, and I think our audience would love to know, why are you so committed to mental health? Sure. And I guess the first thing, Eric, is just to say thank you for sharing. Thank you for having the courage to just say it. You know, so often people don't. And, and we know that silence doesn't do stigma, uh, any uh, silence uh, supports stigma and it doesn't do us any good. Um, so thank you for 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 sharing. Um, and you're not alone. Lots of people felt you know, intensified anxiety through the pandemic. And I think the reality is lots of people are now. 
So why am I so passionate about mental health? I think for me, our mental health is about who we are as humans. You know, our, our well-being. We often, when we talk about mental health, you know, four out of four of us have a brain. We often talk about one in four of us experiencing poor mental health, but four out of our, four out of four of us have a brain. There's lots that we can do to help keep ourselves well, whether we have a diagnosed mental illness or, or not. Um, and the more that we can understand about our brains, we don't have to understand a lot, but just enough that we can support ourselves, we can do the things which help to keep us well, but also that we can help and support one another because you know, we have to uh, uh, create cultures of care. We have to look out for ourselves, look out for each other um, if we're going to navigate our way through what seems increasingly tricky territory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I will say one of the things I think I was able to sort of fess up and address what's happening with me, just the fact that uh, it, it might not seem like it, but compared to where I grew up in, in, in the United States and working in the United States, mental health was something that wasn't quite talked about. And I think through organizations like the MFM, MHFA and also other places like the Samaritans and so many accessible charities that really doing their part in addressing that stigma. So footballers talking about it, I believe Prince William mentioned it. So I feel I was in more of a safe space here than I was back in my previous home. So at the time, so Simon, at the time of recording this, it seems like the UK is in a bit of a mess right now economically. You know, we have a new energy sort of price caps being released today. Uh, it just seems rather bleak. The war in Ukraine, all of this sort of stuff. So we're getting a lot of this within the news, right? A lot of uh, we're, we're we're getting this bad information from the news. And as such, it's impacting people. How can HR teams and business leaders help their staff in sort of switching off from the stresses of this news cycle and especially around this constant talk of living? It's a really interesting one, isn't it? And 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 of course, we've got to get the balance right because we have to be alert to the challenges and the injustices, which you know, seem to keep on coming. You know, at the moment, we're talking about cost of living. You know, we have a global context in which we're understanding more about racial inequality and the impact of racism on people's lives and on, on their mental health and, and similarly, you know, transphobia, all sorts of issues. Um, and a workplace needs to be a place where people can talk about those issues um, if they um, if they need to, and um, whether that's with their line manager, whether that's with a mental health first aider, whether that's with peers, whether that's with their employee assistance program. And at the same time, we also need to help people to understand uh, how they can manage it for themselves. Um, and, you know, simple things like, you know, you talked about traditional media outlets, but of course, we've also got social media. So in the time that I've been speaking, my watch has beeped at me with an Apple News um, highlight because I don't know how to turn it off. Yeah. But social media and um, Twitter will be going you know, down through um, at, a, at a rate of knots. And those are the things that we've got control of. And you know, turning off notifications, making sure um, that we don't have you know, the news going on a ribbon um, underneath us so that we are able to just take those moments to, to breathe and to, to understand and to, to, to connect in with people, to have conversations is incredibly important. But there isn't a one size fits all. I think we have to be really careful about saying we must switch off. Or we must, it's actually saying to people, you know, these things are happening. 
These things are really important to understand. Your workplace is there to support you and here are the sources of support that's available and also take steps to look after yourself because we're also all adults. Yeah, we, we also, yeah, we might need extra support at times, but we do have a personal responsibility and accountability in this as well. But I think what HR teams, line managers, mental health first aiders can all do is say, these things are happening. How, what do we want to talk about? How do we talk about it? How do we acknowledge it? Not brush it under the carpet because we know that, you know, that's one of the things that makes this really, really difficult. And at the same time, what do you need to do? What can we help you to do to mm-hmm. make your way through this as best you can? I remember when I was really kind of confronting my my issues and I had I heard it from a lot of people was that, Eric, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't try and reset a broken bone on your own. So why are you trying to fix this on your own? So how important is it then for that sort of messaging to get out where it really is okay to not be okay and reach out? And do you have any advice for anyone who might be kind of in the spot that I was in a couple of years ago? How do we go about asking? Getting help is one thing. How do we go about vocalizing that I am not okay and I need to seek help? Yeah, really, really important question. Um, there's a, a Charlie um, Mackey has that picture, I don't know, the author that does pictures of the horse. And, and it says, what's, one of the questions is, one of the images is, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? And the horse says, help. Um, yeah. And I'd like us to move from a culture that doesn't see asking for help as brave, but seeing asking for help as usual. Yeah. 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 We all go through periods where we need help, uh, whether that's in response to a particular situation. So, you know, when my brother died, I needed help. As my mother was dying, I needed help. When I split up from a partner, I needed help. When I messed up, uh, I needed help. You know, and, 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 and you would have all of your examples where you needed help, and every single person will. So, actually, if we can create a culture where children from a very early age are encouraged and nurtured and rewarded to both ask for and offer help, then we can start creating the change. So I think that's the the first thing. The second thing would be, excuse me, to acknowledge that when we are at our, um, our lowest, when we need help the most, asking for help might be the most difficult thing. It might be a step too far. And so, yes, we do need to say, ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Please ask for help and ask twice and all of those things. But also we need a culture in which we know that, you know, life isn't always as it looks on the outside. And so somebody might be smiling, but still check in with them anyway. Because they might know that, you know, things are tough if you've just had a baby or you've just separated or you've just changed jobs. And so as friendship groups, as family, as, as neighbourhoods, we ask people if they want help, but we also just step in and help. And, and, and just to give you a really explicit example of that, when you know, my mum, uh, I lived with my mum in the last months of her life and people kept sending me food. And to begin with, I was a bit like, why are they sending me food? And then I was like, of course, it means I don't have to cook. It's one thing less that I have to do. Had somebody said, would you like me to send you some ready-baked meals? I said, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, because pride, culture, socialization stops us. So there's something about our culture uh, where we've got to make it usual to ask for help. There's something about recognizing 
that we do need to get better at asking for help, but it's not always possible. Now, our lowest ebb, particularly, it may not be possible. And so how do we lead into that? But also to know that we are never alone, you know, that we need to live with that sense of compassion and love and solidarity uh, because at any one time there will be lots of people who are having bad times and there'll be lots of people having good times you know that's the fact of life we don't sink you know and 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 so for me this is really about the only the only absolute is that we do not and should not have to do this alone yeah. we know that it doesn't make it any better it doesn't make us a better man it doesn't make us um, a, 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 a better person. Uh, it doesn't make us more able to cope. It just means that we're on our own at a time when actually we need uh, love, <laughs> solidarity, yeah. et cetera. One of the, the Mental Health Foundation, um, which is you know, brilliant research and, and would recommend anybody to have a look at a number of their different fact sheets, but they did a, a, a poll or, or some research um, around kindness. And mm. one of the things which... Uh, people said is that they wanted to create a kinder society post-pandemic. Yeah. But that sense of, of connectivity at a time when we couldn't be socially, physically connected, you know, reminded people that it's great when people are kind to you, but it's also great when you are kind to other people. And I think that that's really, really um, important. And, but I just also want to say one other thing, of course, is that, you know, when, that there is always somebody that we trust, there should always be somebody that you feel able to reach out to, whether that's a, a stranger at Samaritans, you know, where somebody who's trained and able to do it, or it's your brother, your best friend, yeah, or a peer. It, it, there is no one right way of, of, of getting help, but, but that bit of, of finding somebody, doing it through Shout, which has text messaging, whatever works for us. That's that's the key moment. That moment where we want to be on our own um, is probably the moment when we need somebody most, and there will always be somebody there. Yeah, I love that being more kind, and I try and do that, and I'm reminded of it, and then I open up Twitter and immediately unreminded of all of that. So I try to limit that social that that other sort of like news cycle, that social news cycle that you were talking about before. So I want to flip this back to to sort of employers and HR teams supporting, right? So we have this phrase, it goes along with the great resignation, the great exhaustion. Employees, people are burnt out. Um, so how can how can employers go about supporting their teams and their staff during this great exhaustion? Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? And and there was a great article in the New York Times which talked about are you are you languishing, mm -hmm. which was basically you know you're not thriving and you're not experiencing depression, but just a little flatlining. Yeah. That's not an inappropriate uh, uh, terminology. Um, I think the key thing again is about acknowledging this. Is about making um, our emotional and physical state part of conversations with line managers, um, part of conversations within our teams and, and part of conversations within um, the, the organization more, more widely and just recognizing that that it's been a lot. <laughs> and yeah. each time that we think that there is no more to come, there's another thing um, to come. But also, and I think this is the really critical bit, saying, and what does that mean for your work? Because the really important bit of this is that we recognize that it may be tough sometimes, but we also have jobs which we have to do. And if we don't 
And they, if we're not able to do those, then we end up in all sorts of other uh, discussions and, and challenges, which is, yeah, that you're not performing or the organization's not performing. So the key bit in all of this is acknowledging and understanding, and to your point earlier, leading with empathy and compassion. And yeah. at the same time, the reality of we've got things to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the organizations are, are yeah, up against the wall as well with everything that's happened yeah, over the last couple of years. So right. building that into the new framework and not saying, oh, those things are happening, we need you to be robots, that's not gonna happen but not saying these things are happening and the organization doesn't have to deliver. And that's right. like, it's all the time sort of just having the conversations and, and being, being honest and seeing what you can do. You know, are there ways that either groups within teams can have a high and then maybe building in a bit of, of, of lows? You know, we used to rely on August, didn't we? We all, you know, in, in, in the UK, you know, Christmas tends to be a point where you know, work closes down for lots of sectors obviously not for all but family um, and and things often fills up and, and takes time in those moments but how do we how do we try to make sure there are some ebbs and flows which enable people to rest and recover how do we help people to recognize that our holidays are not all for going greece to greece or you know going to cornwall or doing right. things actually to rest and recover how do we encourage people to practice self-care in the evenings and at weekends and bringing some of that into the everyday culture? And I yeah, feel really, really lucky at MHF England because it's the work that we do. We yeah. you know, So I do a message on Friday afternoons every week and in it, the last bit is always you know, think about how you can use the weekend you know, to, to nourish, to rest, to recuperate. Now, because I do it every week, some people, it will just be, you know, like the sentence, you know, at the end of the lots mm -hmm. of love that you don't ever actually just acknowledge what actually it means. But how do we encourage people to be thinking about the things that they can do? How do we try to design our, our workflows in ways which, which we recognise that there are things that have got to be done, but there might be ways you can organise project teams and if we can bring these things into the conversations, we can find solutions. It's we pretend that that's not happening. We pretend people aren't tired. We pretend that there isn't a cost of living crisis, that actually you don't even bring it to the table and you can't then find ways to help people through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I kind of want to wrap it up with, with this sort of train of thought. You know, you mentioned it before, but when it becomes, when it comes to well-being and mental health, managerial training seems to be sort of key right what sort of advice would you give to let's say smes right so what advice would you give to these smes when it comes to starting up training for managers to look after their staff well-being and mental health so my first bit um would be make sure that your line managers have the support to be line managers right look at the chartered management institute evidence lots of us including myself became a manager by accident we became a manager because we we're good at running a project not because we we're brilliant at setting objectives because we we're great at having conversations about well-being and performance and and delivery so that core sort of bit of who are your managers and have you equipped them is is, is really critical and yes there might be a bit of, uh, of of a financial investment required but we know that there is always a positive return on investment when you get people managers supporting their people man people well mm -hmm. um, and then thinking very specifically about 
mental health. And um, the, you know, again, making sure that line managers know how to have a conversation, can lean into a conversation, can understand that conversation in the context um, of, of work and, and, and how do you make sure people got access to support, whether mental health first aid or whether in EAP, whether into the clinical uh, uh, system or into health system, sorry. Um, and, um, and how do you make sure that they can also think, well, if somebody's been off for a while and they return to work, how do I help them return to work well? How do I set them up for success? If somebody yeah, is experiencing poor mental health, mental distress, you know, for whatever reason, how do I help set them up for success? Yeah, which might be some time off. It might be reducing uh, the uh, the work outcomes. It might be changing the workflow for a little while. But if all the time it's how do I set people up for success? So if you want line managers to do that and do that well, they have to be trained um, and supported. And Deloitte's um, research, they do a mental health report every three years and they're modeling which i think is conservative actually when you look at all of the other issues around mental health is for every pound you spend you'll get five pounds return on investment um and and yeah we know it is often line managers who are the bridge between what we intend in terms of delivery performance and well-being um and the reality and the experience of the frontline member of staff um yeah there's there's all sorts of training but the key bit um and and this, I think, is the really important piece. It needs to be about skills. This isn't about us knowing lots and lots and lots of information about um, mental health and mental illnesses. It's not about us diagnosing. It's not about psychologists or psychiatrists being trained. It's about having the skills to have conversations about mental health um, in the context of, of work, ensuring people get the support they need. Uh, and, and, and no, no money spent on training will be money badly spent. And, of course, we know that at times when people are looking at tightening the purse strings that training is often the first right. budget that gets gets cut. And I would I would uh, just counsel against that. Yeah, you'll get yeah. the benefits. So you just mentioned how uh, if, you know, as companies maybe cutting back, training's the first way to go. And it's, it's you're essentially going to be losing money, right? If you not train. I love the one pound in for a five pound return. I think that's, that's, that's an easy investment. You can take that to, to the stingiest of CFOs and they would absolutely green light that line item. Um, do you think that businesses as a whole, business leaders, HR leaders as a whole have truly absorbed that sort of mindset that if they don't invest in it, it's going to end up costing them money and productivity given everything that's happened in the last two years and where how uncertain the future still looks so i think we're probably at the best that we've been in terms of mental health mm -hmm. um, but we're probably still just at the beginning really yeah yeah so for for some um you know streets ahead you know, uh, just right out front. And for others, you know, just about on, on the radar. And that's what you would expect in, you know, in all areas and for understandable reasons. And, 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 and so our job is, of course, to keep on pushing at the best to get better, but also to be saying, come on, to those who haven't yet got to it because there are a million other things which need to be done. But we have always said, haven't we, that people are our best resource. And it's our increased understanding of actually people who are well, people who are well supported, people who feel able to 
talk to the managers, bring their whole selves to work, are going to be able to deliver best. So we may not have it in the mental health language, but we may have it in HR language. We may not have it in its entirety, but we've got we've got light shining you know, all over the place um, in relation to this. But I th- I guess the other bit, just to be you know, clear, is, some, is sometimes you know, a bit... It's it's difficult, isn't it? That you you just uh, actually can I invest right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I afford the time for the staff? Can I afford the money for the staff? Yes, I understand the return on investment, but actually, is it possible <laughs> right now? And I I think if you link this back to what you said earlier about people being tired, mm-hmm. you know, managers and leaders are also tired. CFOs right. are also tired, and 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 so these decisions and the creativity, the innovation, the drive for excellence, you. Know, it, 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 it's tough for everyone. So there's lots to be optimistic about. We've come a huge way in the last decade um, and we just need to keep on recognising that this isn't an optional. An optional. Uh, it is about humans. We're all humans. We've all got brains and we all need to keep you know, walking together. I guess the one last thing to say is we often forget to talk about peers. Now, you will have people who you work with. I have people who I work, I work with. And creating that culture where peers feel as responsible for supporting one another, for checking in with one another, you know, is um, incredibly important um, and, and, and not to be underestimated in terms of the impact. Um, and then just one final thing, sorry to, to say, Eric, we have, what I've learned as Chief Executive Mental Health First Aid England is that my brain has always told me when I'm thriving, when I'm perhaps on my way to uh, not being, and when I'm actually you know, not in a great place, I just haven't always had the ability to listen. Yeah. And what I've learned, and we have a, a, a toolkit called the My Health Self um, MOT, which I'll send to you so we can link um, in the notes, if that's okay, <laughs> is that by asking ourselves some questions on a regular basis, we can learn to see the signs. And we can learn to see the signs before it gets to the point where we might be at crisis, before we get to the point where we might be at burnout. And if we can do that for ourselves, we've got the best chance of being able to do it for each other, whether we're an HR manager, whether we're a line manager, whether we're a peer, whether we're an uncle, whether we're a father and mum, etc. Well, once again, I just want to thank Simon Blake, CEO at Mental Health First Aid England, for taking the time to talk to me about mental health well-being within the workplace and what managers and business leaders and HR leaders can do to make sure that all of our colleagues are supported when it comes to their own mental health and well-being journey. I'm also including that link that Simon mentioned. It has more information on their new training program. So please do get involved. It could be a great place to start. There's still a huge stigma around mental health within the workplace. And I am grateful that I get to do my part in being an advocate for it. Erasing that stigma as I think as time goes on, more of our colleagues will acknowledge that they are having their own mental health issues and it's our duty of care as colleagues and really as humans to look after them. So once again, big thanks to Simon Blake and thank you for listening. This is Eric Niewerowski, host of the HR Grapevine podcast, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.